anytime we're teaching the older adult population across the board, it's really meeting them at that place they're at. And maybe we bring a little bit of our knowledge along and we might help them move that forward. But it's really, it's not about the poses. It's not about even the yoga. It's really about how does this individual and then group of individuals understand movement, understand their body, understand what they can and can't do. And can we help them kind of just grow into that wherever they want to go? Welcome to the Second Act Fit Pros podcast, the show where I highlight the vibrant and active lives of health and fitness professionals in their second act. I'm your host, Erin, a functional aging specialist, and I'm here to introduce you to a diverse range of professionals dedicated to empowering individuals to live well, thrive, and embrace their second act through movement and improved health. Join me as we explore the endless possibilities and opportunities in the health and fitness field. I'm talking with Paul Mross. Paul lives in New Glarus, Wisconsin, and he's a certified yoga instructor through the Yoga Alliance. He has been a project manager and yoga consultant for five research studies on fall prevention and yoga with the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Paul has presented at conferences including Wisconsin Institute for Healthy Aging, Wisconsin Occupational Therapy Association, and the International Association of Yoga Therapists. Paul is the designer of the Happy Mat, a portable template with visual cues that assist the therapist and client in basic mobility instruction. Paul is also the co-founder of a nonprofit called Yafa, Yoga Accessible for All, which is a coalition of yoga teachers, community partners, and academia whose mission is to increase access to the benefits of yoga in underserved communities. In my conversation with Paul, we discussed the inspiration for creating Yoga Accessible for All and his initiative to help lead research on the role yoga can play in fall prevention. Discover how his involvement in research led to the invention of Happy Mat, and hear Paul's insights on elements needed to make yoga accessible and enriching for older adults. Here's my conversation with Paul. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on. We're just talking that I haven't had anybody on talking about specifically adaptive yoga. And you have a nonprofit called Yoga Accessible for All. Tell me about that nonprofit and what inspired you to start that. So I actually co-founded it with a good friend of mine, Iris Mickey, here in Madison, Wisconsin. And Iris was actually a yoga teacher of mine many, many moons ago. And we just became really good friends. And we would consistently go to coffee and talk about all the underserved populations that were out there that weren't getting access to yoga for whatever reason. It could have been be that it's just not offered in their community or the amount of the cost for that yoga class might have been too high, whatever it was. And we kept on talking about it. And then one day we finally did something about it. And we, she got involved with an organization called Social Good in Madison, and they helped us kind of formulate the ideas in creating the nonprofit. So that has been up and running, and we've been working with the Madison community, trying to just bring diverse populations together and seeing if we can um, help them 
find yoga and work with yoga as a way to help with their health and wellness. That's amazing. And what's been your experience with that? Has it been received really well? It has been received very well. We have had, once communities find out that we're doing something like that, then we we get that interest. There's also been a, a lot of interest within the teacher community. So the yoga teachers out there, when we find out, they find out about what we're doing, you know, they they have their own individual passions or interests. And so they might come to us and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing something like this. But yes, so that is that has been a great growth within the community, learning about the Madison area and learning about the teachers that are out there. I think the biggest challenge with anything is funding, right? If we're providing accessible yoga, financial barriers are something that we always have to look at. And so Iris has been really proactive with writing grants and trying to get other funding sources to help supplement our ability to really get the yoga classes out there. And how are you finding instructors for this? So it's kind of depending on the program. Sometimes we've gotten grants from individual entities. We worked with the Parkinson's Association. They helped fund a little bit of a grant. We've had grants that have helped with this. We've had kind of self-pay as you go. We've had we've had that working with us. You know, it's across the board. It just really depends on who who is interested in promoting something and can they help us? You know, can that facility help us bring about some of the the classes? Or it might just be individuals that have been in the program for a while that want to continue and then they wind up self-paying on their own. Okay. How long has this been going on? You know, we've been doing this for about five years now, so it's a very slow growth, but, you know, it's definitely we're out there and trying to promote ourselves, getting involved with multiple communities and and also trying to find the teachers to help support that, right? There's There's always an interest with anybody having somebody that's a teacher kind of look like them, that they can identify with or have similar conditions or disabilities, whatever it might be. And so actively trying to find people in the community to also kind of take that and bring it back to their community that they're already working with. So that has been also an interesting challenge, trying to find those teachers that that are willing to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what all other things are you looking for in an instructor? Yeah. So, well, we do because we're a nonprofit, we kind of do work them into our our system, so to speak. So we have certain guidelines that we we help teach them. We encourage them to take continuing education. There is a world of yoga teachers and then there's a world of yoga therapists out there. As far as teachers go, we're always encouraging them to work with us. Yoga therapists are another community that we might step into and help have them step into our world and kind of help us with you know, the, the the classes that we offer. But we're also always interested in just bringing people into the fold too. Some of the teachers that we've come across are teachers that just got their 200-hour certification with a local yoga school, and they might have a passion working with a certain community. And so we can help them with that process. Very cool. 
And we were talking about adaptive yoga. You do some, I thought this might be a good time to bring this into the fold. You do some teacher trainings for yoga instructors on adaptive yoga and for older adults. So tell me about some of the things that you are teaching yoga instructors. So my passion for over 20 years has really been working with the older adult senior population. And along the way, I've just taken many different programs and started to understand that there's there's often a time when a yoga teacher gets their 200-hour certification, which is the baseline certification that they would get. They're, there's so much information that they're given around how to create a class, how to sequence a class, but a lot of times there, there is just touch points about working with diverse communities and specifically working with the older adult community. And so I started working with yoga studios to just come in and do like four hours of training, right? So I come in, I just talk about four hours of, hey, maybe you're interested in working with the older adult population. Here are some things to consider, right? And and kind of encouraging the students that ultimately will become teachers to think about what if somebody came to your program and they were 65, they never had done yoga before, and they expressed that they have issues getting down to the floor or they're worried about getting down to the floor. They don't even want to do that. And now you're teaching, but you're teaching a class that is an ongoing class that the majority of the people are 30 and they're fit and, you know, they can get up and down from the floor no matter what, right? So what would you do in that case? And ultimately, I, I, I present that in the very beginning and everybody kind of freaks out. So I don't know what I would do, right? Because they haven't thought about that. And so we kind of go over those things, just kind of encouraging them to think about different communities, especially the older adult community, of, of how working with them as a student and can be challenging, but it also can be very rewarding. Right. And it's also a great way to learn about even how you teach, because many times the languaging we use can be very different in an older adult community. And so just thinking about how we're presenting and how we're 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 working in that classroom setting with an older adult, it, it can be very rewarding. Like I said, it can also be very eye-opening and sometimes it can be very fearful for them. And so that's what I do in these yoga studios is I just kind of come in and I just kind of tap into a little bit of that questioning for them and see where we can go. And, you know, it becomes this fun interaction of, well, what about modifications? You know, if they can't get down to the floor, what, what can we do instead? And, and how would we approach that? So that's kind of what I do with some of the yoga studios. That is great. So this is just something that you're doing on your own to just go in and, and give a little section on teaching to older adults. It It, it is. I mean, the, yeah. the yoga studios that I'm working with are very encouraged to do that because, like I said, there's they're in a 200 hour training. There's so many things that they're giving them that they don't have time to dive into diverse communities, right? They don't have time to. And, and I find that if you can teach to the older adult community in a way that's 
inviting and encouraging and rewarding for them, you can pretty much start to adapt that to most communities, right? So we worked with, in our research, we worked with the deaf and hard of hearing community and, you know, just approaching that community in a way of like, we have this yoga program that we'd like to give you, but we want it to fit within your world, within your community, help us understand what it is we can do to make this accessible for you. And so I think in general, working with the older adult community has really allowed me to understand there's so many ways we can, we can bring this out to multiple communities and um, make it accessible for everybody. I love people like yourself, Paul, that are seeing gaps in where some of these movement practices aren't being offered to people and finding ways to, to fill those gaps. I think that's super exciting. So I, I love the idea behind this and, and the services you're offering. Tell me more about your research. You're doing research about yoga and falls prevention. So tell me a little bit about that. Correct. So I started as a yoga instructor probably about 23 years ago. And for whatever reason, the communities that started to come to me were the older adult populations. And I, I've always had a, a history of working with them prior to becoming a yoga teacher, that community. And I just really enjoy working with adults. And, and I'm going to preface, I'm using older adults as just a generic term. In the research, we, you know, we asked questions of like, what would you like a class be, be named as a senior yoga, older adult yoga, you know, and, and across the board, it came across as, you know, I just want something that's geared towards me and the labels of older adults or seniors. It, it really didn't become a, quite a, an issue. And so when I'm saying older adults, I'm not meaning to offend anybody, right? I'm just trying to use that as a uh, our language tool here. But as I was teaching, I started to notice that there wasn't a lot of data out there of how to teach older adults. And also there wasn't a lot of data related to falls. So falling is something as we age, we increase the amount of times we fall, right? So somebody who's 65 or older is going to fall one one, one out of four times, one out of four individuals 65 or older are going to fall once a year. So I happen to have a friend at the University of, of Wisconsin-Madison who was a researcher, and he and I started talking, and we, we looked at the data. There wasn't research out there on yoga and fall prevention, and we decided to do a small little pilot study, and that ultimately went through five different versions at this point with three different principal investigators. I'm not the academic person, so I'm the consultant with the university developing the programming. And so we've had three different principal investigators. And right now we're situated with the university's, Kristen Pickett is her name, and she's with the university in the kinesiology department. And so we have just developed over time through these five different uh, research projects, seeing if we can utilize yoga as a method to reduce falls. We're 
we've expanded into rural communities is a major population that we're working with because there's a, a lack of yoga and resources and fall prevention resources in the rural communities. And so we're looking at mostly rural populations, but we're also touching upon different things like uh, social isolation and loneliness, right? So there's different things that start to happen when you do research and you bring a movement program like yoga to those communities, you start to learn different patterns of, of things that are happening that aren't even related specifically to the fall prevention. And so right now we've, we've also done a virtual version of it. We, we, our last funding resource happened right during the time COVID hit. And so we were going to do it with some local rural communities and we couldn't. And so we pivoted and did a virtual uh, version of the yoga therapy, uh, of the yoga uh, fall prevention classes and found that that was successful. We proved it was safe. And now we're just continuing on, hopefully getting to the place where we can say yoga has an effect on reducing falls. We can't say that yet. We've got a lot of evidence-informed information, but we don't have evidence-based information. So that's where we keep plugging along and trying to see if we can get to that place where we might be able to have that data. So that's kind of a life goal of mine is, you know, I'm, I'm 50, 57 right now, and I'd love to be able to at some point say, yeah, I was helpful in bringing about that evidence-based programming for yoga and fall prevention. So that would be amazing. Can you talk a little bit about what makes something evidence-based, like the criteria for that? Yeah. So you really have to have, what it really comes down to in a study like this is you have to have um, numbers, right? So you have to have a lot of individuals taking the research program, a lot of recruits, and looking at those numbers to come up with a statistical analysis that says, yes, statistically speaking, this will have an effect on fall rates. Again, I'm not the academic person, so uh, I'm kind of talking from the layperson's point of view. But it also comes then into comparing other things too, right? So we have to compare that to something else in other programs. And so really what it comes down to is is trying to get all of those multiple hundreds of individuals to come together and do a yoga program and compare it to something else and then show that it had an improvement and therefore it can be evidence-based. So right now... Our data is very much evidence-informed. We can kind of point to that and say, yeah, likelihood it is, but we don't have the, we don't have the data to back it up to say it's evidence-based. Still a work in project process. Very yeah. much so. Very yeah. much. What is the goal if you are able to achieve that evidence-based approach? Yeah. So then it's really about sustainability and 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 allowing that to kind of move out into the communities, right? So if we've got something that's evidence-based, then it's a potential that local ADRCs might be interested in bringing that on. So area resource, disability and resource centers and 
potentially bringing it out into bigger populations. You know, right now there's a huge push on trying to find any programming that is related to fall prevention. And so if we can start to offer that and bring in more teachers, more training related to that, I think it would be a, a big push. And you know, we look nationally, uh, modalities like Tai Chi or the Stepping On program, which is a very fall prevention programming, they're nationally recognized, right? And yoga is quite not there. It's not quite there yet. The evidence is showing towards yoga and strength, yoga and balance, yoga and gait. But you got to put all those together and come up with fall reduction rates. So that's that's kind of the goal is to kind of have that impact at a national level, too. That would be exciting. It would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So still a work in progress. You'll have to keep me updated on that. I will. As the research goes. So we were talking that the research guided you to inventing a product in the yoga mat. Tell me about that. Yeah. So as we were moving through this we we recognize that there's a lot of information in any kind of movement class, but in yoga, there's a lot of your right foot's here, your left foot's there, you're moving a little wider, whatever the stance might be right. And so there, as as we were doing the research, we started to recognize that having some type of a template on a yoga mat to help the instructors kind of engage the students in where their positioning might be with their feet or having the students be able to kind of understand, engage where they are in space. And so another good friend of mine and I started this company, we co-founded this company called Happy Wellness. And we created this yoga mat that We've actually got three versions of it, but we created this yoga mat that just kind of has this template on it as a guide for the yoga teacher and the yoga student to kind of play in the situation, right? It's it's really a playful way of understanding. And so it's another, it's really is another communication tool. It's another communication aid. And when we wound up doing this last version of the research, it became really important because we're doing a virtual version of the yoga class, right? And so having the ability of the yoga teacher to see where they are in space because they're on their yoga mat was a great tool for them to kind of help guide them, right? So if they're just on a carpet somewhere, you really can't tell if they're potentially putting themselves in danger because maybe their stance is too narrow or too wide, whatever it might be. And so this kind of helped the teacher instruct, right? In a virtual class. That is such a great idea. Is this a product that you made more for yoga instructors or for the participants or is it really both? It's really both. And then we started to explore simpler versions of it. So there's the math that we developed really for the research that's quite complicated. So it has it even has the markings on the edge are six inches apart. So if you're an OT or a PT and you're trying to look at those measurements, you can actually use the mat as a measuring tool to to help facilitate your assessments. But then we made an easier version of that 
kind of still using the same template, but we simplified it a lot. And then we even went as far as we created a kid's version. So you can see behind me, I've got actually one of those up on the wall here. And so instead of having numbers, we created a map that has animals and shapes on it. And so then it becomes a playful tool for the kids to utilize. And that has actually expanded into schools. Some schools have been using it for, you know, as a playful way of, you know, they've got to have uh, five minutes to get the kids to do some activities and stuff like that. It's also been really effective. We've worked with some communities, the autism community. So it's been very helpful with individuals in, in that community. So it's just been a fun kind of going down these different avenues and finding out, you know, how this template can work. Yeah, that, I was looking at the mat in the background and I was trying to figure out what that was. So the fact that it's a kid's mat, that is such a cool idea. <laughs> I'm assuming you have a website for your mat? It- we do, we do. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's happyw.co. So it's not .com, it's C-O, like companies. Okay, happy okay. such a cool idea. What are your future plans with all the work that you're doing now? Well, I really want to see the research move forward, obviously. So that's something that I really enjoy. And I think ultimately it holds value for not just my local community, right? Any of these research projects go out nationally and hopefully it can help other researchers and other yoga teachers. But here in Wisconsin specifically, and specifically in the Madison area, I'm very active with the fall prevention coalitions that we have and really trying to bring fall awareness to the communities at large. And, and, and when we talk specifically, yes, anybody can fall and there's lots of communities that are affected by or, or have higher risk of falling. But really, when we're talking about that, ultimately, we're, we're talking a lot of the older adult population and community. And so trying to expand the network that I have and the research that I have and the knowledge I have into working with these coalitions and seeing, you know, where we can take it. Wisconsin is very active when it comes to bringing awareness to falling and fall prevention programming. We have the Wisconsin Institute of Healthy Aging. They are trying to bring that awareness about. Here in Dane County, we have the Fall Pre-Dane and Safe Community Coalition that is really helpful in our area. So, and a lot of the research that is related to falls is happening at the UW system. So it's it's a great place to just expand the world of falls and fall prevention and how yoga can fit into that. It really seems like Wisconsin has been very active with the fall prevention programming and really having that coalition and really taking charge with that initiative, which is really exciting to see. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, we statistically and over the years, we're actually the number one state in the United States that has the highest rate of deaths related to falls. So that's not the main driving force, obviously, but 
I think because of that history, we've we've really started to look at falls and what we can do about it. And, you know, that seeped into all different areas, governments, everyone is starting to, you know, kind of take notice of of the risks around falls, you know, in hospitals. Everybody is 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 understanding that falls is a huge, huge situation. There was don't quote me on this, but a yes. A report just came out in and in, in Wisconsin, like 100, 100, 130,000 EMS calls were related to falls. So it's huge, you know. It is huge. <laughs> it is huge. Yeah. yeah. I wonder what makes it so prevalent there. Why is falls such a issue in that specific area? In Wisconsin? In Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because that's a question that a lot of Everyone asks, you know, and there's been things thrown out there because of the winters, right? And I just looked at it. It was very interesting. I just looked at that data today related to the EMS calls, and it's been going up and up and up. And actually, the calls that happened recently that are the highest peaks are in the summertime. So it really isn't related to to winter at all. And if you look Mm. at our neighboring states like Minnesota, they're not as high up there in the statistics as we are. So, you know, some of it is about reporting. You know, when somebody goes into the hospital, is it reported as it's a fall-related death or is it related to, or are they reporting it as something else that was related to their maybe passing that that they might be kidney failure, correct? But would they have had kidney failure if they had entered the hospital because of a fall, right? So. It's just kind of like how the data is reported, but I don't think there's an actual idea as to a firm idea as to why Wisconsin is is number one. You know, it's not a good thing to be number one in. No, so. no. but it's it is encouraging that there seems to be a coalition around it, and people are gathering around how to try to improve that. That's encouraging. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Paul, with all the work that you're doing now, what is the impact that you hope to have with the work that you're doing? Well. You know, on different avenues with the yoga accessible for all nonprofit, you know, our goal is just to really be able to work with as many communities as that are out there that want to work with us and try to expand that specifically in the Dane County area. You know, if if more individuals have access to yoga or any type of programming, it might be such that we can have impacts ultimately on social isolation and fall rates, right? It might be as simple as just getting people together sometimes. And and yoga is just an excuse to get people together, right? Uh, I used to teach, before COVID, I used to teach a class to retired older adults and it was an amazing class. I loved it. And they would come a half hour beforehand. I would, no matter how early I got there, there was always somebody there. And it was a community environment. They enjoyed getting together. They took the yoga class and then they went out to lunch afterwards. Almost all of them went out to lunch afterwards. And so, you know, it's, I'd love to say that yoga is the most important thing sometimes, but I think sometimes it's just getting people out of their house and having an excuse to go somewhere 
and be with their friends and do something that they might find useful and helpful to them. But, you know, when it comes to yoga itself, I think there's so many benefits to yoga that are really available to any population. I always say, if you can breathe, you can do yoga, right? So there you have it. And so giving and providing and allowing individuals to have access to yoga, whatever form it is, even if it's just simple breathing exercises to help create a little stress reduction, then, you know, we've, we've done some good work. And, and that's, that's really what I'm hoping is that we can continue to expand out into communities that want something like a yoga program and can benefit from it and then just make it work for them, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. yeah. And how did you get into teaching yoga? I, I got into teaching yoga. I actually, my wife introduced me to a meditation and chanting group many, many, many years ago. And so there's different branches of yoga. Many times people think that yoga is a very physical activity, right? And so, but there's other ways of practicing yoga and meditation is one of them. And I became very active practicing yoga in that way. And I happened to be working coordinate as a massage therapist. I used to be a massage therapist. I happened to be a massage therapist out at Land's End's corporate headquarters in Dodgeville, Wisconsin. and our son came along and we needed daycare. And in order to get access to the daycare program, I needed to be not a massage therapist, or I could continue as a massage therapist, but I needed to help them with their programming related to physical fitness or whatever it was. And they didn't have any yoga out there. And I said, well, I'll teach a yoga class. And so that's how I started. I started teaching yoga at Lens End's corporate headquarters. And I ultimately kind of pushed that forward into, at one point, we had a really, really active yoga program out there. And then, you know, everything with COVID kind of changed stuff. But, and I don't work with Lens End anymore. But yeah, that's kind of how it just kind of snowballed into that. And then I started working with Upland Hills Health, which is the local hospital up in Dodgeville, and they wanted some yoga programming. So I started doing that and then started doing the research and started working with the Aging and Disability Resource Centers. And, you know, that ultimately just snowballed into the research and here I am. So. Wow. Wow. Who knew? Yeah. Daycare ended up being like a whole other new career for you in yoga. It did. It did. <laughs> what would you tell somebody that is interested in maybe becoming a yoga instructor and teaching to older adults and interested in offering an adaptive yoga class? What would you tell them to get started along that path? You know, there's some key phrasing that I, I always come back to. And I think the most important thing a yoga teacher can do when working with the older adult community is meeting them where they're at, meeting them in the space they're at, the attitudes they're at, you know, they might have, the connections with their body that they might have or don't have, and and just teaching them. There's a there's a phrase out there that says teach people don't teach poses. 
because that's oftentimes what will happen. Yoga teachers will have kind of this agenda that they step into a class and we're going to do this, this, and this. And, you know, our goal is to do a certain pose, whatever it might be. And, and I don't know how many times I've stepped into a class and I, the agenda just went out the window because somebody said to me, oh, you know, I was having some challenges getting in and out of my car, right? And what, what do you think about that? And is there some poses we could do to help with that, right? And all of a sudden, my kind of small template of what I was going to teach totally shifted into something new because it was relevant to that moment that everybody else was trying. And I realized that I bet a lot of people have issues getting in and out of their car. So how can we help facilitate some understanding around that? And so I think anytime we're teaching the older adult population across the board, it's really meeting them at that place they're at. And, and, and maybe we bring a little bit of our knowledge along and we might help them kind of move that forward. But it's really, it's not about the poses. It's not about even the yoga. It's really about you know, how does this individual and then group of individuals understand movement, understand their body, understand what they can and can't do? And can we help them kind of just grow into that wherever they want to go, right? You know, I had a, a gentleman that came to my class that was, gosh, he must have been in his late 80s, maybe 90s by the time we stopped the program. And, you know, he would come to the class and he would always wear his shoes. And, you know, first question he had to me, do I have to take my shoes off? Because it takes a lot of long time for me to take my shoes off. And I said, no, you don't have to take your shoes off. And in fact, when we're talking about balance, that would probably be the worst thing that we could do for him because he's so used to living in his shoes. And all of a sudden, now we're telling him to balance and take his shoes off. His proprioceptive awareness of where he is on the floor is completely shifted. And so just taking him out of his shoes makes him unbalanced, right? So that was a prime example of, I met him where he was at and he didn't need to take his shoes off. And he still could do the yoga and that we were doing. And, you know, I encouraged him to say, you know, if there are times before you go to bed, maybe, and you take your shoes off, maybe then do some really assisted kind of things that we're doing in the classroom. But don't make that your high priority because really you live in your shoes anyway. So where are we kind of, you know, going from there? So he was also an interesting character. And I'm sorry, I'm rambling on here, but he was also an interesting character because he would tell me about how we need to make, well, he said, we need to make, make using a walker sexy again. And I'm quoting him. That's what he said. Or he, he just, he just <laughs> said, I see so many of my friends refusing to use a walker. And he's like, we need to bling it up or do something to make walkers sexy. Because if they were sexy, more people would use them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he needs to teach a class on that. I want to go to that class. <laughs> the Sexy yeah. Walkers Club. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that is so great. Um, and, and this is such an important point that you make about meeting people where they're at and teaching people not poses. And something as simple as allowing somebody to wear their shoes because that's what they're used to. To you, you've been teaching this a long time, that seems obvious. Sometimes I think when we get to, and I'll 
and I'm guilty of this too, you get teaching exercise a very certain regimented way. Like this is how we do things and it's very narrow and it doesn't allow for people to have their own expression or adaptation to that. And it's so critical for this working with people later in life. There's so much going on there, biopsychosocial, that we need to understand where they're at and meet them where they're at and not get so narrowly focused on our agenda and what we think they might need, but understanding why they're there and what they want to get out of it. Yeah, there's so much of the herd mentality in group classes that we encounter. Everybody, I think, encounters that teaches classes, group classes. And, you know, so many times, and I won't get into the debate about should yoga teachers be doing adjustments for their students or not, but, you know, simple things of, you know, I've seen teachers say at the beginning of class, you know, okay, I like to do adjustments. So raise your hand if you, you know, want one or don't raise your hand or, you know, raise your hand if you don't want one. And, you know, I've been in those situations where I myself am going, I don't want an adjustment, but I also don't necessarily want everybody else in the room to know that I don't want that. Right. You know, so how do we create that environment where it's safe to ask for things you need, where it's safe to do things that are <laughs> that are maybe out of maybe if the teacher's telling you to do something that's outside your comfort zone, you know, giving our students the power and the way to say, I'm not going to do that because I know my body enough. I mean, that's something in the research that we really try to move into is that awareness of, of what are you feeling, right? Sometimes people don't even have that understanding of what they're feeling in their body. When you're standing in mountain pose, which is just purely standing, like what's happening in your body, right? I mean, we, we, and one of the main things we teach them is mountain pose is a huge part of the research and understanding how they feel in their body. And if something the teacher is inviting them to do just doesn't feel comfortable having that freedom and space to say, oh, I'm not going to do that, right? Because it doesn't feel comfortable. And maybe there's a conversation that happens afterwards to help kind of understand why they didn't want to do it. And maybe there's some adjustments, but empowering, I think, our students to say no is a huge, huge thing. I had, I had, I had somebody come to my class. They were a, a guest of one of my students. And at the end of yoga classes, if you're bringing people down to the floor, there's shavasana or there's, it's just basically a relaxation, right? And so you're usually inviting people to lie in their back and close their eyes, you know, maybe do a little meditation with them. And I always offer up, you know, if you need to bend your knees, if you need to lie on your side, if you want to sit, sit in a chair because getting down to the floor is not, you know, and this person came up to me and she said, you know, I've been taking yoga for 10 years from the same teacher. I don't even know who teacher is, so I can't even name names here. But she said, she said, I hate Savasana. I can't stand it. And she said, I realized the reason why I can't stand it is because that whole 10, 15 minutes, I'm uncomfortable on the floor. And she said, because my back, I have lower back issues and having my legs straight like everybody else in the room is, is completely torturous to me. And you were the first teacher that ever invited me to bend my knees or to lie on my side to do everything else that we did during Savasana. 
And she said, I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. And so I always think of her when I think about what are those other, what are those students that aren't being verbal or aren't showing that they're, you know, maybe uncomfortable? Am I really inviting them the space to, you know, maybe move into this with ease and comfort so that they can enjoy whatever we're asking them to do? Yeah, that's a wife's movement teacher practice to have that awareness that people need to have their autonomy and have agency and how they're going to move about in class. And that's, that's what makes movement enjoyable is when we're not dictating to them that they need to move this certain way. Like we're giving them space to have their own expression, their own practice with it so that it is comfortable and it's enjoyable because our bodies are built to move. So how do we keep moving? in a way that right. feels safe and inviting and not torturous. Right, exactly. Um, you know, in the research, we found that people, people, if it's accessible and they want to continue to do like a home practice, it has to be something really easy. So we started introducing these healthy habits. So we would teach them, let's say like chair pose, right? So chair pose is, 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 you're almost sitting in a chair. I'm, I'm going to try to describe it without showing it. You're almost sitting in the chair, but you're not allowing yourself to sit in the chair, right? So it's that whole functionality of, of flexing at the hips, you know, and bending at the knees. So we learned that in class. So let's incorporate that into your daily life. And so every single time you're at the kitchen sink doing something, hold on to the kitchen sink for support and just do a simple chair pose. Do it maybe three times. Go back, forth, back and forth, and then move on with your life. And so it doesn't become something that is overpowering. It's become something that they want to do. They create a habit. And that has more effect long-term because now they're practicing it on a regular basis, even though it's only a minute or two at the most. And mm -hmm. so, you know, but it's got to be accessible. And if a class isn't accessible, then... Somebody's going to take it and they're going to go, well, that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm never going to be able to do it. <laughs> right? you know? And they'll never come back, you know, and so you've lost them. I think about that all the time when we get that first brand new yoga student and I'm going, oh, my gosh, what are we giving them and what are they taking away? And are they going to never, maybe I'm not the teacher, the right teacher for them, but are they going to just say, no, I don't, I don't want to do this ever again because I had this bad experience. It's like. That really isn't a good thing, you know? So are we making sure that they want to come back? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, definitely. That's, that's our purpose is to keep people moving. And if we scare them away, then we haven't done our jobs. Right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. Paul, where can people find you? Your nonprofit, your mat, like where all are you on the internet and elsewhere? Yeah, so we're on Facebook. Yeah. Um, is is the name of us on Facebook. So you can just look up Yafa Yoga. Happy Wellness is also on Facebook. We do have the website for Happy, like I gave out before. You're also welcome to share just my email. I, I love talking to people via sure. emails. I can put it in the show description. Okay. Sounds good. Is there anything else that you want to talk about in relation to the work that you're doing that we haven't already covered that you want to make sure to mention? I want to encourage everybody to get out there and move no matter what it is. It doesn't have to be yoga. 
when it comes to fall and falls and fall prevention, I, I just find agencies, the ADRCs, WEHA, anybody can help you with trying to find some of that understanding with falls and, and how we can prevent them. Great. Excellent. If there's anything you want me to link to in relation to the fall prevention and some of the work that you're doing or research, I'm happy to link to that too in the show description. Okay. Um, this has been delightful, Paul. I really appreciate your time and learning about what it is that you're doing. So thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you for all the great work you're doing. This is, this is amazing platforms. Thank you. If you're interested in becoming a fitness professional, the Functional Aging Institute is the go-to source for training mature clients by providing fitness professionals with the most current, up-to-date, and forward-thinking techniques and strategies. They offer certifications, videos, webinars, and on-site workshops. In the show description, there's a link to get 20% off the group exercise certification and functional aging specialist certification. If you're interested in exploring a second act career in health and fitness, sign up for the Second Act Fit Pros newsletter. I provide information on online events I host and opportunities to connect with current health and fitness professionals, as well as those who are aspiring to work in the field. A link to sign up for the newsletter can be found in the show description.